I'm going to start with the set-aside prayer. God, please set aside everything I think I know about you, God, the steps, recovery, the big book, what's best for me, what's best for others. Especially help me let go of all my old ideas so I can live on your truth. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and mercy on me, a sinner. Help me to glorify you today by carrying your message. In Jesus' name, amen. We have to remember that the message is God's message to us. And it's given us in this book uh, by people who he gave to write it for us. Today, still applies. Uh, we're on uh, more about alcoholism. Um, we're going to read uh, fantastic stuff today. I, I don't know how many times I've read this. I can't even really see the print anymore. I have so many notes in here. Uh, but every time I read this, it's a reminder of why I need to be here, why I need to seek God all the time, that I, on my own, I will never have a defense against the first drink. It must come from God and my relationship with God. And um, uh, that's why I ask people when they have their birthday, how are you letting God do it? Because we can't, we can't do it. But we, God can do it if we do the action. So we still have to do some work. It's like if you're in the desert and you want to get water and you're sitting on the rock and you ask God to get your water, it's not going to happen if you don't walk towards the water. And so we're on uh, page uh, 34. We're in a chapter that's written. Why would they put more about alcoholism? Don't we know enough about it? Well, the problem is that this book is written for desperate people. And it's written for people who have no way out of a hopeless condition of mind and body. If you're not hopeless, when you get here, they hope, well, they didn't have meetings then, they had three meetings. They were hoping that if you would read the book, you would understand in the first 43 pages of doctor's opinion that you have a hopeless condition of mind and body. And the chapter after, more about alcoholism, is we agnostics, which is about God and how it's our relationship with God. We have an illness that only a spiritual experience will conquer. Think about that. Now, if patients came to me, uh, a spiritual experience would not conquer their cancer. Maybe it could, but they needed medicine. They needed things that we could do to kill the cells. We have a different kind of illness. We're the ones that are killing ourselves. So we have to kill ourselves. We have to kill ourself our self-centeredness and have someone else direct our lives. And it's a process, but until we see that we're hopeless when we continue to run the show, nothing's going to happen. And so this book is written for people who've run out of plans. And this more about alcoholism is about the queer, what they call the queer mental twist. Something happens in our mind that tells us that a drink's a good idea, even though 10 minutes before we have sworn we would never drink again. Has that ever happened to anybody? Could even be five minutes. Because right before we drink it, we can't see that there's anything wrong with it because our mind's seeking the ease and effect of alcohol. Alcohol is not the problem. We're seeking the ease and effect of alcohol because we can't live sober in the world. 
our emotions build up and we have to treat those emotions and we use alcohol. Now it worked in the beginning for all of us. We felt good when we drank, but towards the end we can't ever get to that feeling and we can't quit and we're in this downward spiral. Anybody have that? Was it fun? No. I don't ever want to forget how bad it was. And so they're trying to hammer home that on my own, no matter uh, what I decide, I can't follow through on that decision without God. And when I think I can follow through on that decision, then I'm screwed because I can't. There's one thing I cannot manage to do sober, and that's not drink. Now, how can I say that? I'm sitting here today, but it's still true today. I have to see God. Prayed this morning, here today, uh, talking to people in the program, uh, trying to do six and seven all the time, live in pages 84 to 88. Some days I do better, some days I don't. But I never want to get too far away from God, because if I do, it's dangerous. The solution to alcoholism is that we're a paperclip and God's a magnet, and we have to get close enough to the magnet to get its power. Now, we're an unusual paperclip because we can, we can turn away from the magnet. We can pull a little bit and a little bit and a little bit with our self-will. And when we get far enough away, the magnet doesn't have power anymore. And so that's what it means to continually seek God, continually work the steps. Stay in that magnet's power field. And if we get out of that power field, whose power field are we in? Mine. And my power field won't work for me. It'll kill me. Never used that example before. I wonder if it's any good. Don't tell me if it isn't. All right, so it says, uh, for those who are unable to drink moderately, the question is how to stop altogether. Isn't that the question? We are assuming, of course, that the reader desires to stop. Now, sometimes I've assumed that new people want to quit. But sometimes they want to quit for a while. Or they'll quit, and they'll say they want to quit now, but in the back of their mind, there's this lurking notion that someday they could drink again. If you have that lurking notion, it's going to come back in, like a boomerang. So Dr. Bob would ask, uh, are you done? And if, they, if the person wasn't done, he'd go on to the next one. We are, whether such a person can quit upon a non-spiritual basis and can quit, and I wrote forever in there, depends upon the extent to which he has already lost the power to choose whether he will drink or not. So what they're saying here, it's a complicated sentence, that if you've lost the power to choose whether you're going to drink or not, you can't, you can't quit on a non-spiritual basis. Group, treatment, whatever, it's all good. Meetings, it's good, but it has to lead you to this spiritual basis of living or else. And I've lost the power to choose whether I can drink or not today. I'll never get it back, but I do have the power to choose God. And so I have to make the choice to seek the power that gives me choice. I heard that years ago, and it just, I had to stop. I was listening, and I paused it, and I played it again. I said, wow, because it's so clear. That's the deal. It says God can and will if you seek him. 
There's a tremendous, many of us had plenty of character. I, I think it should say we were characters. There was a tremendous urge to cease forever, yet we found it impossible. You see the words they're using? This is the baffling feature of alcoholism as we know it, this utter inability to leave it alone no matter how great the necessity or wish. So I think most people come here don't want to drink again. But it, we have the utter inability to leave it alone. And that's what they're hammering home in this chapter because the final paragraph in this chapter says, once again, we have no defense against the first drink. It must come from God. And they spend, what, 43 pages in doctor's opinion on that. Why? Why are they spending so much time? Because they have to hammer home that my plan will never work. I can never do it without God. And the, this is a map to God. And we use other people. God put other people in our lives. God put Bill W. and Dr. Bob in my life today so that I would have this book. The book is not the treasure. The book is the treasure map to the treasure. We don't worship the book. It's just the book. But it has a map. And if we follow the map, we get the treasure. Anybody see Treasure Island when they were a kid with the map and they had the treasure mark? Well, the treasure here is the ability to have God remove the obsession to drink, an ability to have a design for living that works, an ability to have peace and serenity in your life, an ability not to have conflict with everybody and everything, an ability to, to uh, be free of anger and free of fear. Who wouldn't want all that? But to get it, you have to follow the path. Now, if you follow the path for a while and you go on your path, that won't work. You have to follow their path. Now, I can't say it won't work. It may work for somebody. It won't work for me. So if you don't have a path that works, here's the path. That's what they're writing here. That's all this book is, the first 88 pages. So how then shall we help our readers determine if they're one of us? And if you're one of them, then you need, you're going to have to quit on a spiritual basis. You're going to have to have a relationship with God. So now they're going to help you determine if you need that. The experiment of quitting for a period of time will be helpful, but we think we can render an even greater service to alcoholic sufferers and probably to the medical fraternity. I don't think the medical fraternity still understands us. They know that they send us to AA, really, to get us out of their offices and to get us out of the hospital because they know AA has helped and works for people. But they don't, they don't understand. They don't, so they're going to describe the mental states that precede a relapse in the drinking. Now, relapse is, is to suffer deterioration or to slide back. And so what we're really in, we're always alcoholics. Are we ever not an alcoholic? No. So how do we go from being an alcoholic and not having the obsession drink to drinking again? Well, we separate from God again. And I believe there's a grace period people talk about when you come in. It's called step zero. You come in, you're defeated, you come to AA, you have people helping you, but you haven't worked the steps yet. And this famous speaker, uh, he's, he's dead now, he said step zero is how long can you go without working the steps and having the relationship with God before you drink again? And so when people go back out, it's not because they're bad, it's because they they're still haven't, don't have the spiritual basis for living, they don't have the power of God in their life. 
And so this is the crux of the problem, the mental state. What sort of thinking dominates an alcoholic who repeats time after time? Notice the desperate experiment of the first thing. It's desperate. What are they desperate to do? Relieve themselves of the irritable, restless, discontent feeling living sober without alcohol. You can still have that today. You could be in recovery years and still get that, but you have a solution that's not alcohol. You can go to God. You can call someone. You can talk to someone. You can uh, uh, inventory it. You can pray. You can meditate. Friends who have reasoned with him after spree, which has brought him to the point of divorce or bankruptcy, are mystified when he walks directly into a saloon. What does he, why does he, of what is he thinking? And remember, it's a disease of our thinking. And what's wrong with our thinking? It's self-centered. It's wrong. All of our resentments are wrong judgment. All of our fears are wrong belief. And then did anybody do wrong actions to cause the shame and guilt? So they're, they're going to talk about their first example as a friend we shall call Jim. Now, I don't know. Somebody will uh, send me a comment from the site. Uh, I don't know who Jim was or how they got the story. But um, it, it has all the elements of everything they're trying to show. So Jim was a char has a charming wife and family. That's good, right? He inherited a lucrative automobile agency. He had a commendable war record. He had a good sales. He was a good salesman. Everybody likes him, and he's intelligent. But here's the key line: normal so far as we can see. Now we can't see it in the people's minds. If people had uh, uh, put our minds on CNN, it would really be a something. If they could see our thinking, except for a nervous disposition. So having a charming wife and family. Inheriting an automobile agency, commendable war record, good salesman, everybody likes you and you're intelligent, that won't keep you from being an alcoholic. And that won't treat alcoholism. He did no drinking until he was 35. In a few years, he became so violent when intoxicated that he had to be committed. On leaving the asylum, that's where they used to send people in 1930s. They didn't have treatment centers, and we were dangerous. We were very dangerous, so they would lock us up. In fact, some, uh, some people were put in prison just to, just to keep ourselves from hurting us and others. It says, we told them what we knew of alcoholism. And what do you know of alcoholism? What could you tell somebody who came in? Could you, could you tell them what you know of alcoholism and can you tell the answer that you had found? So they're going to tell us in this book what they knew of alcoholism, and they're doing it up to these pages, and then they're going to tell us the answer and how it works and into action. He made a beginning. His family was reassembled, so he made a beginning. His family was reassembled and began to work as a salesman for the business he had lost through drinking. So he lost his, his business, which happens. All went well for a time. So you see this, people come to meetings, things are going well, they celebrate some birthdays, but he failed to enlarge his spiritual life. He didn't work the steps. There were no steps till this book was written. 
He failed to enlarge his spiritual life. Why do we need to enlarge our spiritual life? Because my spiritual life was dead when I came in here. It was very alive, but I was the center of it. I played God, I didn't even realize it. I thought uh, my motives were good and I did the best I could, but till I worked the fourth step, I saw that I, I wasn't a bad person, I had the wrong manager, me. And I made decisions based on self that caused me to be harmed and I harmed a lot of people. And I still, it says you should not regret the past. I do regret the decisions I made, who wouldn't? But I understand that it all had to happen to get me where I am today. To his consternation, that means he was perplexed, he found himself drunk half a dozen times in rapid succession. On each of these occasions, we worked with him. So you don't give up on anybody. Reviewing carefully what had happened. So sometimes you'll, you'll see somebody, they come back and you talk to them. A lot of times they can't even tell you what happened. Uh, it just happened. He agreed he was a real alcoholic and he was in serious condition. So he knew he faced another trip to the asylum. So he knew he was an alcoholic and he knew his condition was bad. And he knew he faced another trip to the asylum if he kept on. Moreover, he would lose his family for whom he had deep affection. Here's the problem with that sentence. You can have deep affection for your family, but he had a greater affection for alcohol. Do you understand why some people in relationships, the people in the relationships get pissed off at the alcoholic? Because we choose alcohol over them. Did you ever do that? I did it. It's hard to make up for that. And so he knew he was a real alcoholic. It's important to understand. He, he's not stupid, he has a serious condition, and he knows he's gonna, he's gonna face a trip to the asylum and he's gonna lose his family. So let's see what happened to him. Yet he got drunk again. Wow, how can that happen? We asked him to tell us exactly how it happened, so they're gonna tell you. And this is his story. Now the story can be a false reality. It can be fiction in his head. It, he could tell himself things that were true, but they weren't true. And I, I could do that. I could tell myself things. If somebody talks to me, does anybody else have a thinker in their head and tells you things? And then you're interacting with the thinker. All think I'm crazy now. But your thinker will tell you something you need to worry about. Anybody ever have that happen? So you worry about it. And it's not really even true. So I, I heard a great speaker, you can get him on XA speaker, it's called a vulture on the bedpost. And he says that when he wakes up, his thinker goes, where you been? We got things to worry about. And he makes this line that I remember. And he says, when you get these thoughts, you have to ask your thinker what its source of information is. Now think about that. When I get these irrational fears or judging or something, Where'd that information come from that I need to judge or be afraid? It's not from God. And that's what we call the ego and uh, this, our self, will. And so you have to talk to them and say, you know, goodbye, it's not true. So this is his story. He came to work on Tuesday morning. 
Now, I read that for a long time, didn't realize the significance of that. He missed Monday morning. Sound familiar? Any alcoholics in the room? I remember, he remembers he felt irritated. Now, when an alcoholic feels ir irritated, it could be rage, right? If we get a little irritated, uh, it means we're pretty upset. Then he had to be a salesman for the concern once he owned. So he had a resentment. He had a few words with the boss. I don't think they were good. You get it? He's irritated. He's going to work for this guy. He used to own the place. He says, but nothing serious. You see, this is his story. He was more than a little irritated, and it was serious. So then he's irritated. He's, he's had words with the boss, so he makes a decision. What's his decision? To drive into the country to see a prospects for a car. He's a car salesman. So he's already relapsing. You get it? He's already thinking, I'm irritable, restless, and discontent. Son of a gun, I'm working for this stupid idiot. I used to own the place. On the way, he felt hungry. So he stopped at a roadside place where they have a bar. What a shock. It makes sense, though, if you're reading what he says. But if you look at it, I had no intention of drinking. But remember, Brian, certain time, right, Brian? At certain times, we cannot recall the humiliation and defeat of even a moments ago. We were without defense against the first drink. So he didn't know. He had no intention, but he didn't know if a certain time was coming up. I thought I would get a sandwich. See, he's talking to himself. I'm going to get a sandwich, I'm going to go to the bar, and I had the notion that I might find a customer for a car at this place. So he's driving in the country, and he what's to sell a car, and he ends up at a bar? Which was familiar for, I'd been going it for years. Now here he's rationalizing with himself, alcoholics rationalize. I'd eaten there many times during the months I was sober. I sat down at a table and ordered a sandwich and a glass of milk. Still no thought of drinking. You think that's true? I ordered another sandwich and decided to have another glass of milk. And here it is, squiggly writing in the big book. It means it's really important. And this could happen to any of us. This could happen to me today. We're no better than Jim. We have to remember that. That's why it's in this book. Suddenly, like that. Remember we say, suddenly God can do for us what I cannot do for myself? And suddenly I could do for myself what God won't do. Suddenly the thought crossed my mind that if I were to put an ounce of whiskey in my milk, it couldn't hurt me. What a full stomach. Now that makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, really. Uh, you know, I ordered a whiskey and poured it into the mouth. Now here's Stu's favorite line. I vaguely sensed. Vaguely sensed. Vaguely sensed means we know. We know. I was, I was not being too smart. But here it is. I felt reassured. See how he's talking to himself? You see why the disease centers in your mind? See how we do it? I felt reassured. Now here's, they left this out of the big book too. By whom? Who reassured him? 
he reassured himself as I was taking the whiskey on a full stomach. Makes sense to me. And the experiment went so well, I ordered another and poured it into more milk. That didn't seem to bother me, so I tried another. Now, there's a key thing about this story. And that's why there are three stories. There's uh, Jim, the jaywalker, and Fred. Now, it says, thus started one more journey to the asylum for him, for Jim. And we don't know what happened to Jim. It tells us what happened to Fred. And the jaywalker is an example of what we look like to other people. But we don't know what happened to Jim. It doesn't say, here's what it says. He, he started the journey to the asylum. Here was the threat of commitment. That's pretty serious, isn't it? The loss of family and position, to say nothing of that intense mental and physical suffering which drinking always caused him. Squiggly writing, he had much knowledge about himself as an alcoholic. Now remember, self-knowledge will not fix this. Why is the next chapter called We Agnostics? It's called Those Without Knowledge of God. Knowing about me and myself won't help me. I have to know about God. And what does knowledge of God mean? It means that I know that God can work in my life. I can trust God. I can rely upon him. He can remove my fear. He can remove my anger. And he can tell me drinking's a bad idea. So do you think God's a better solution than alcohol? He had much knowledge about himself as an alcoholic, yet for all reasons for not, yet all reasons for not drinking were easily pushed aside in favor of the foolish idea that he could take whiskey if only he mixed it with milk. So Jim wasn't a bad person, was he? No. He's, he's, he, he's self-centered, and he had resentments. He was irritated. He had fear. And he was an alcoholic, so if he took a drink, he couldn't control it. And he also had lost the power of choice. And he knew that alcohol would treat his irritable, restless situation. Now, maybe not consciously, but subconsciously, and then it becomes conscious as he's suddenly the thought comes in. And so it says, whatever the precise definition, definition of the word may be, we call this plain insanity. People say it's doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. But it's insane for somebody who's lost control of, of, of drink to take a drink, isn't it? So the solution for... Uh, Alcoholism is not to take the first drink, right? But the problem is that we have another we have another part of our illness that we can't keep from taking the first drink. And that's what kills us. Because if we never drank, alcohol wouldn't be a problem. And so alcohol is a problem in our mind because our mind seeks the ease and comfort of it because sober we can't we have emotions built up because we're running the show and we get angry and we get fearful and we do bad things and we have shame and guilt. These emotions build up to a certain level. And Joe and Charlie had this thermometer and they would have the emotions. And when the emotions build up to a certain level on the thermometer, people drink. Now some people can have a lot of emotional 
problems and not drink till they reach a certain level, but some drink much sooner. But eventually we will all drink without God. How can such a lack of proportion of the ability to think straight be called anything else? And it's the ability to see and act on truth. So we have a disease that gives us the ability to think and act on a lie. We tell ourselves something that's not true and we believe it. I can have a drink. I go to the liquor store. I must believe it's true or I wouldn't do it. And why? Because I can't see that there's anything wrong with it because I have only think about what's going to do for me. So my mind is damaged and that cannot be treated with a pill or therapy or anything. Can't help you see the truth about alcohol right before you drank it. Only God. It says, you may think this is an extreme case, thus it is not far-fetched. For this kind of thinking has been characteristic of every single one of us. You see, all alcoholics have Jim. We all think like this. We have sometimes reflected more than Jim did upon the consequences, but sometimes we don't. But consequences won't keep us sober. That's why hitting bottom isn't circumstances. Hitting bottom is the realization of the truth of your situation that you cannot deny. It's not the DUI or getting fired or, or uh, getting thrown out of the house. It's this inner, and it's a gift, I believe, where you can see the truth of your situation that I have no way out of this. And I've heard everybody in here, I heard Mark talks about it, Brian. I was got down on my knees at 2.30 in the afternoon. I said, I just can't, I have no way out. I need help. And then as soon as I did that, people started coming into my life to help me. And I'm here today, it's a miracle. Because I was really bad. You may think you were bad, but I was worse. <laughs> it was so bad that I don't, I don't want to ever forget how bad it was. That's why I come to meetings. That's why I talk to people in AA. That's why I try to work with people. I don't want to forget how bad it was, because if I do, then someday I'll say, well, you know, it wasn't that bad. And I could have a drink. It can happen to any of us. We have sometimes, uh, but there was always this curious mental phenomenon. Now, I, I'll, I'll end with this. I may not, but I, I'm going to try. The curious, you have a curious mental phenomenon, okay? There's, it's put that on the left side here, hold your head. That parallel with my sound reasoning on the right side, there inevitably ran some insanely trivial excuse for taking the first drink. So something will cause the curious mental phenomenon to overcome my sound reasoning. Our sound reasoning failed to hold us in check the idea, insane idea will win out. And next day, we would ask ourselves in all earnestness and sincerity how it could have happened. Now, it's very important for everybody who's an alcoholic, no matter how long you're an alcoholic, right, Brian? It doesn't say at certain times the new alcoholic will have no defense. All of us. I cannot forget this. I don't want the insane idea to win out today. Now. I said I was going to quit, right? Mark's here, and he's been away for a long time, so I'm going to read one more line. In some circumstances, 
We have gone out deliberately, it's Mark's fault. We have gone out deliberately to get drunk. We've gone out deliberately feeling ourselves justified. Anybody do that? By nervousness, anger, worry, depression, jealousy, or the like. So we, we justify. Look how they're treating me. Life isn't fair. I'm trying so hard. Blah, 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 blah. But even this type of beginning, we're obliged to admit that our justification for spree was insanely insufficient in the light of what always happened. And when we begin to drink deliberately instead of casualty, there's little serious or effective thought during the period of premeditation. That's what happens towards the end. We don't, we, we don't give it any serious or effective thought. We just do it. Anybody else have that downward spiral? So I'm going to end with that. I think this is really good information. I always get something out of it. And I hope this was helpful. Thank you.